uh, whew, you know, this is a very real scenario for a student that you know. I'll, uh, every once in a while, every once in a while, we'll catch these whiffs of parents who say, Mike, I don't think my kids need player's box. I don't think they really feel pressure. And my response to that is, is, is your student a teen or a preteen, and are they breathing? Are they breathing? Because if they're breathing, there is probably some expectation on them that they're not sure they have the assets, the resources from within their heart, soul, mind, and strength to fulfill those expectations. And that's why we believe that there is, for such a time as this, the importance of intercepting that, intercepting that. Our intention with Players Box, as I'll explain in this series, is to eventually catch little third grade sinners before they digress into too much mishandling pressure and expectations and train them as much as we can. But this series, as, as you probably already can catch, is a lot also about, about helping parents and coaches and teachers, etc. I had kind of a slow content this week because so much of the content of this series is stuff that I've already written, so I'm just refashioning it and sermon form, but because of that, I thought I'd use the extra time I had this week to write a song. Yeah. Now, I did. I wrote a song this week. Now, I, I would have my guitar up here, except I don't have a guitar, and I don't play guitar. But uh, here, see, give me a break, because this is the first time I've ever performed a song before people. I've done it in the shower, so have you, but I've never performed a song in front of people and I'm a little nervous, okay? So I woke up this morning and go, why am I so nervous? Because I'm going to sing a song in front of people. I've never done that before. And the title of this song, uh, you might want to get the tissues out because this is a pretty heart-wrenching song. The title is That Cat's Interfering. And if you want to, I'm still playing with the melody, but if you want to just do the melody of the cats in the cradle in your head right now, that might help. Okay, if you know that song. My dad came to practice the other day. He came in the gym in the usual way. There were balls to shoot and games to play. He had nothing to do, so he thought he'd stay. And he was talking for I knew it. And as he spewed, I said, don't you have something better to do? Dad, don't you have something better to do? And that cat's interfering, and it's got to, and he's correcting all the time. It's become a trend. Don't you have to cut the grass, Dad, and do the trim? Just please back off at the gym, Dad. Lighten up at the gym. I just turned 10 the other day. I said, thanks for the book, Dad, about the price to pay. He said, read this, son. I said, a not today. I got friends you see, and we just want to play. He said, if you don't mind, I'd like to watch and stay. And I gave him a sigh and wished his job gave him more to do. Yeah, I wish it gave him more to do. And that cat's interfering, and it's got to. And he's correcting all the time. It's become a trend. Don't you have to close a sale, Dad, or text to skim? Just give me a break from the gym, Dad. Just lighten up at the gym. There are two more verses. 
Well, this is good. This is really getting good now. Well, he talked about college just the other day. Since I'm only 10, I just had to say, Dad, I'm proud of you. Can I sit for a while? He shook his head, and then he said with a smile, what I'd really like, son, is to prep for ACTs. I said, gee, see you later, candidate. Wait till my teens. <laughs> and that cat's interfering, and it's got to, and he's correcting all the time. It's become a trend. Don't you have accounts to pay, Dad, or your waist too slim? Just give me a break from the gym dad just lighten up at the gym my dad's only 40 but he's never away you see he just retired a great 401k i came into the house just the other day he said i'd like to work with you if you don't mind i said oh gosh dad i can't find the time you see my new school's a hassle i have so much to do but it's sure nice talking to you dad it's been sure nice talking to you and as I left the room, it occurred to me, he just wants the best for me. Yeah, my dad just cares for me. But that cat's interfering and it's got to and He's correcting all the time. It's become a trend. Don't you have around the golf dad and strokes to trim? Just give me a break from the gym. Dad, just lighten up at the gym. That's my first song. That's my first song. Yeah, my first song. Thanks. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yep, my first song. I know. Sherry was, Sherry was doing her hair this morning, and I said, that looks really good. And she goes, I know. You're going to be going on tour for, for, for pretty soon, so I got to look good. Hey, how's that for a first song? Come on, people. How's that for a first song? Never heard a song before. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Uh, my hero in this whole pursuit is a lady by the name of Carol Dweck. She is a professor at Stanford University. And she put it this way. No parent thinks, I wonder what I can do to undermine my children. Subvert their effort, turn them off learning, and limit their achievement. Of course not. They think I would do anything, give anything to make my, child, my children successful. Yet many of the things they do boomerang. Their helpful judgments, their lessons, their motivating techniques often send the wrong message. Parents, it is not because we are poorly intended that a ministry like Player's Box is absolutely essential and urgent in this era. I think the reason it's essential in a, in, is, is for this reason right here. The reason it's essential is Proverbs 19.2 says it well. Desire without knowledge is not good. In other words, you, you, can be, you can be a person that has intense, positive intentions. But if you lack reality, it's not good. As a matter of fact, it's really not good in the way our culture now moves so quickly. We do it with hasty feet. The speed at which we're moving in life now is a lot faster. The, the social scientists are realizing that what's happening to culture in many ways is there's just too much information coming our way. And we're not able to handle it. We're not able to properly do something with that information. So one of the ways I explain this, when, when, a, 
when a, a parent will say, you know, I don't think my kid will need this. Us, first of all, you'll hear this, this this month. We never had a talk with our kids about drugs either because our kids were never going to use drugs. So I'll tell you that. But I, I explain it this way. Let's say we have put together the, the best lecture on how to change a flat tire that has ever been put together. Like, you want to go on YouTube and watch our video of how to change a flat tire. Well, if as a student you don't drive yet, you might listen to that or you might not, but you don't drive yet. So you really don't need to, to uh, listen to a lecture on a training on how to change a flat tire because, well, yeah, someday you'll need that. But there are more urgent things that you need to know right now. If you're in high school, now you're driving and you're going, I think I'm interested in this because... My tire pressure feels low, and I think I need this. One of the things we're learning now as we've started the college part of this, with college athletes in particular, is what I'm sensing is, oh my gosh, I've had a flat tire. I've driven on a flat tire. I need to learn how to change a flat tire. And it's urgent now. And here's, here's the difference on that analogy. When I was in college, this morning on the way in, I always listened to Casey Kasem's top 40 from this week in 1970-something on the way into church. I know, it's real spiritual. Like, you know, the next thing you know, I'll be humming the theme to Budweiser commercials when I'm on my way in. But uh, the, I, I always listen to that. And this was this week in 1979. And so when you listen to that, you hear songs that are not hits, but you go, oh, gosh, I remember that song. But I remember the fall of 1979. Why? Because it was my senior year in high school. It's my senior in high school. And, and I grew up a four-minute drive to my high school, which I started doing when I was 13 because it was Rednecksville. Nobody was going to pick you up for driving illegally in Hanover, Ohio. So I literally started driving to practice when I was like 13, 14 years old. Hey, I drove a tractor at seven, okay? okay give me a break. And, and so when I was growing up in 1979, if I had a flat tire, I would miss homeroom in first period, which I kind of wanted to do anyway and have a good excuse. So it was no big deal. I'm telling you, today's students are driving indie cars compared to our situation. And they don't have a pit crew. And the implications, the speed the hastiness at which life is moving creates this urgency to not live in what psychology calls a decompensated state. That's the psychological term for the need for player's box is I don't have, I'm not compensated in my inner resources to deal with what's going on outside of me. The puffer fish is able to live at depths in the ocean that humanity doesn't ever get to. Why? Because the puffer fish has more strength inside it than it does pressure coming from outside it. And many students today are living at depths of pressure that frankly, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't experience. I had pressure, but not like what I see every week in students. And so at the end of this series, I want every one of us to be able to say this, I'm in, I'm a boxer, I'm a player's boxer. And all that is, it's irreducible minimum is, I'm learning who I am and I'm learning whose I am. 
that I learn my, my individuality and I learn what my identity is. I'm a beloved child of the Most High God with supreme value and worth just as I am today. And this is what makes you a boxer, whether you're a, a grandparent, a parent, a coach, a teacher, a student. What makes you a player's boxer is you say, oh, that's the journey I'm going to be on. Today begins a campaign at which, on November 7th, we will bring our three-year commitments to make this a reality. To make this a place that six days a week is serving the needs of students and families. Our goal the necessary goal to reach is $4 million. Now, that is half what we raised five years ago for the reverie, but remember, this is post-COVID. It's a little different reality. It's a little different deal right now. So we're gonna need all of us to be boxers. We're gonna need all of us to say, hey, I'm in. Give me the shirt. Just go out there, get a shirt. Wear it to Menards. Wear it to Lowe's. Wear it to, you know, Elder Beerman's not even open anymore, is it? I was going to say Elder Beerman. It says like a long time ago. And, and just so other people see, hey, I'm in on this journey of helping every kid learn the God-given uniqueness of their individuality. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. They're not a mistake. And they're a beloved child of the Most High God. That's, that's whose they are. An item is valuable often because of who owns it? Not because of necessary, it's intrinsic worth. But who owns it? And if we can grow students who understand that reality, then we are on our way to having a tremendous impact upon Southwest Ohio and beyond. Kate Fagan, in the book I've been mentioning lately called What Made Maddie Run, it's the tragic story of a freshman at Penn University. She said, when Maddie's dad, Jim, was growing up, good colleges were challenging to get into, but not like today when being a solid, diligent student is no longer enough. Students today must display excellence, not just competence, in numerous areas. The pressure to be great, not just good, is unrelenting. In Allendale, New Jersey, college is the ultimate destination. This is where Maddie Holleran grew up. The goal toward which almost every student works, if coming of age used to mean summers and weekends working at 7-Eleven cleaning the Slurpee machine to make a few extra bucks to buy your favorite record. And if you don't know what that is, ask your grandparents what that is. Now it's about checking boxes on a college application, becoming fluent in a second language, volunteering at a shelter, taking, taking weekly SAT prep courses. And this is indeed the reality. And so we've created, as you'll hear in this series, out of our story, we created a curriculum that has four anchors in it. And these anchors are intentionally to represent the points of understanding, of knowledge, in the words of Proverbs 19.2, that every student has to have to be thoroughly equipped for this era. The why of Players Box is to help students perform under pressure. Our, our objective is to help students learn to love arts, academics, and athletics, whatever their endeavor is, once again. You'll be, you'd be shocked if you knew how many students are doing stuff they, they just hate. They hate. The fun has been taken out. The transformational aspect of play has been changed into a transactional aspect, a transaction of worth. 
And it's taken all the fun out of it. So one of the things we want to do is actually help every student to understand their personality type, their learning style, their ability level, and their yes factor. And these are critical. Why? Well, first of all, your personality is how you'll understand why pressure affects you the way it does. The many student groups I've spoken to, I would be, let's say, in a a class, um, I've done ACT prep classes where I'll be speaking to students about play, and I'll say, um, you know, you came along, and you have, how many of you have an older sibling, and they were not as gifted as you, but they were competitive. They had a fire in them. Pressure just made them try harder. They embraced it. And you came along, and you're more gifted, but pressure doesn't do that to you. Pressure actually makes you more withdrawn and dependent. You get quiet. You're, you're not a lion that has to devour you're, you're more of an owl under pressure that becomes wise. And how many of you have had coaches or teachers that have said, hey, if you would be more like your older sibling, you would be, and this is always, I kid you not, in ACT classes in particular where I get the students that are, that are kind of listening and they go, oh my gosh, somebody knows. And the personality type's so critical because it says, hey, there's not something wrong with you that's not wrong with everyone. Don't let someone try to make you into something you're not. Many a student has been destroyed because someone's trying to change them in terms of how pressure affects them into someone else. L stands for your learning style. And this affects how you process information. This affects how you practice. And many a student is, who is, is maybe a visual learner, a kinesthetic learner, not an auditory learner, has only been taught or led by people who, God bless them, only teach in an auditory fashion. And so their brain just doesn't process the information as quickly. I was a visual kinesthetic learner. I have really strong mirror neurons and so when I see something, I can imitate it. I can imitate it. I could just, if I could just watch the people I wanted to shoot a basketball like shoot, Kyle Macy, Pete Maravich, Jerry West, I could imitate them. It was a left-handed version, but I could imitate them. And, and then I needed to be, I was kinesthetic. Just let me go work it out on my own. If you stand over me and give me auditory instruction constantly, I will shut down. My brain is like, you know, remember when the $6 million man used to have a circuit go wrong in him and his right arm didn't work anymore and he couldn't, doing, 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 you know, and, and, and that, because, that was me. It was like I would be, I would just, I would, it would shut me down. Why? Because as a learning style, I was very visual kinesthetic. And so I have a real passion for making sure that every coach and teacher is trained in, you, you just can't coach everybody the same way. You just can't. It's just not possible anymore. A stands for ability level, and this was one that's really passionate for me too. This affects a student's purpose. Why are they in this particular expression of art, academia, or athletics? Why is the performer participating? And this one is where we can be on a journey with the student to say, hey, it's okay that your ability level is not one that's going to earn you a scholarship. Because especially in this area, if it's, if it's not a transactional value, then we won't pursue it, right? We won't pursue it. No. You may be a great artist, but it doesn't mean you're going to make a living at it. That's okay. 
You may be a great tennis player, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a Division I tennis player. And this one is really important because one of the things every student who has gone through Players Box can tell you the answer to this question. Who knows your potential? Anybody who's been through student, student who's been through Players Box, tell me the answer to that. Who knows your potential? God does. The only being in the universe who knows your potential is God. I was that freshman in high school, 5'6", 125 pounds. I, I was the sterling example of a college basketball player as a freshman in high school at 5'6", 125. I'm being facetious if you can't tell. And I remember going around our locker room one day, Coach Hoskinson, he says, okay, what do you guys want out of basketball? And I said, I want to play basketball in college. And he laughed. He, la- he always had a problem with me. I don't know why he did, but he always had a problem with me. And he laughed. I remember him chuckling like, right. And the good part of that was it took my fiery competitive nature and just poured petrol all over it. Because then from that point on, I played with a chip on my shoulder the size of Mount Rushmore. The bad news is, is that poured petrol on my competitive nature and I played. But here's what it did. For me, is it made me so compassionate towards students who, who, who have been put in boxes, stereotyped because of their gender, because of their size, whatever. And I'll get real, real prickly if you start saying, well, this kid will never be. Ooh, the only person in the world who knows your grandchild's potential, it's not you, it's not that child's parents, it's not their teachers, it's God. He's the only one who knows, truly. A child's potential. And then this one's huge in this area. Y stands for the yes factor. And this affects positivity. What is the performer's attitude towards self? Most students who grew up in high-functioning homes are really bad at this. Why? Because, you know, both my parents work at Wright Pat. When I come home and I got a, a 97 on my physics exam, they're going, what happened to the other three points? They're not impressed. And that doesn't mean they're bad. It's just the expectations in this family is we don't throw parties for 97s. When one of the things we teach in the yes factor is God made our brains to say yes when we get that right answer, when we execute that outcome. Why? So that our brain hears, let's do that again. Let's do that again. And that's the good news. The bad news of the the positivity of the yes factor is your brain doesn't hear fact or fiction. Do you know that? Your brain only hears emotion. And so when you say, no, you idiot, your brain hears, let's do that again. Let's do that again. And it's why you struggle with certain movements. It's because you have neurologically embedded those actions into your brain. Why? Because of negativity. And it's so critical to learn how to leverage the yes factor. Yes. And I love this moment. And so one of the things about this player's box deal is, is we, in the words of Caesar the dog whisperer, remember he said this about dogs? He says, I don't, I, don't, I don't train dogs, I rehabilitate dogs. I train dog owners. And one of the important aspects of player's box is we don't train students, we rehabilitate students, and we train parents. We're like dog owners, that we mean well, but have you ever been around a bad dog owner and you go, man, that dog needs an owner. 
That dog needs someone who knows what dogs are like. They're first an animal, they're second a dog, and they're third a breed. And if you don't know that, if you don't have that knowledge, what? You got a bad dog. Bad dog. Nobody wants to be around your dog. And Players Box makes connections with students that, and parents that communicate, hey, there is a reality spiritually and neurologically in how God made us that you had better know because this Indy car is moving down the track pretty fast. It's moving down the track pretty fast. I was trying to think this week, what's, what's, um, like what's a verse of scripture that captures all this and how it overlays with your spiritual journey? with your creator and your redeemer. And it didn't take me long to locate what I think we could argue is, is one of the most important scriptures in the New Testament. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? Like, what does everybody need to know? What's, what's like, when you get fuzzy about what's important, you can come back and you can hang your hat on this one. And without surprising his audience, Jesus repeated the Shema. What Israel, every day when you woke up, you would repeat this. The Lord our God, the Lord is integrated. He is one. He is the ultimate integration reality. He is mind, body, and spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is this integrated of three in one. And so he represents what he's trying to do in all of us. Everything that God's about in the world is oneness. Everything. Everything God's about is oneness. Everything the adversary about is disintegration. He's trying to tear us apart. He's trying to tear our inner beings apart, mind, body, and spirit. And he says, the Lord our God is Lord, Lord is one. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is really interesting. Because in essence, those are synonyms for each other. He is using, in that day, they didn't have bold, they didn't have italics, they didn't have exclamation points. And so if you wanted to emphasize the utter, important, urgent reality of something, you would repeat it. And sometimes you'd repeat it in different ways. And it, if Jesus were here, here's how I think you'd say it. I want you, you have to get this, as that you open up your heart, you open up your soul, you open up all of the strength you have in your body and mind, and you open up all of your, all, all of your thinking capacities to your creator. Now, this goes way beyond religion. Religion is I clock in, and I kind of do, a, like at best, a fist pump with God, and then we go our separate ways. But Jesus defines something different. Have you opened up your soul to him? Have you opened up your heart to God? Is your shame still keeping you from really just saying, God, here I am, all of me. Every bit of me is open to you. Here's all my sin. Here's all my mistakes. Here's all my inadequacies. Here's all my strengths. Here's my personality type, my learning style, my ability level, and my yes factor. It is, it is all open to you. And as you know, our mission at this church is to connect people to Christ, not religion. Religion is... Well, I fist bump God. I do my church thing, but I don't open my... Some of you have never opened your heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. You haven't. You say, I'm a Christian. I know. You still, you've not opened your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength to God. 
And say, here I am, God, vulnerable before you. And for us endeavoring to do something that is very messy, when I started doing this just off campus with students 10 years ago, I thought I was just going to help kids have better free throw shooting percentages and better forehands. And I soon found out I was dealing with eating disorders and body image issues and fears of failure that were crippling. And that's when it hit me. We've got to, we've, We've got to get real on this. And what Jesus was saying is, hey, you've got to get real with who you are. Because having all the desires in this life without the knowledge of who you are is not good. It is not good. You'll make the mistakes I made. I was unaware. I was without knowledge of what I was like. William Duresowicz, in his book, The Miseducation of the American Elite, says, I understand that parents are worried about their children's future, but we have to look at what we're doing to our kids. We have to have the strength to raise them to care about something other than success. In the very narrow terms in which it's come to be defined, I'm not saying you can have it all. In fact, that's one of my biggest messages in this book. Would you please catch that sentence? As an expert in these matters, he is saying you cannot have it all. You can't have it all. You have to choose. Parents already tell their kids, do what you love and follow your dreams, but kids know that they don't really mean it. Now, what they really want is status and success. Well, we have to really mean it. And the way you really mean it is you say, in this family, in my soul, in my mind, in my strength, in my heart, the number one thing is what I want is I want all of me and all of him. I want all of God. That's what what we want in this family. Because you can be a success in this world and have a rotten life. You can be a trial lawyer who makes $600,000 a year and has a rotten life and has a rotten character. Is that not true? But you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and have a rotten life. You may have a hard life. You may have a challenging life. But you're not going to have a rotten life. You're going to have a good life. And parents, grandparents, is this not what we want for our kids? It's a good life well lived so it's exciting today because today also happens to be the day where we are bringing communion back to our Sunday experience and so what I would like for you to do in a moment is I'd like for you to get up and go to the corners of the room where the, the, the communion symbols are there the body and blood of Christ symbols and then go back to your seats And all I want you to do today is do your best to open up your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength to your creator and your redeemer. There's nothing you need to hide. There's no shame. There's no sin. 
He knows, by the way. Don't act like, well, if I keep it hidden from him, he can't see it. That, he knows. But you're the one that you open up and it starts revealing hidden resentments. Hidden fears. And it's a good thing because sin only has power over us when it's kept in secret. It's, that's it. And so when we open up our heart, soul, mind, and strength to our creator, redeemer, who loved us so much that he would rather send his son to hell than for us to go to heaven without him. That, 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 that I say, you know what, genuinely, I want heaven in me more than I want my child in Harvard. That's what I genuinely want. I'm not just faking it. That's what I genuinely believe. And so let me pray, and we're not done. We want you to go and grab those symbols and then go back to your seat, and we're just going to do some, let God do some MRI machine on us. Right, gang? Let him scan our heart, souls, and our minds and our strength before we leave today. Let me pray. So, Father, we are daring to go where angels dare to trod into the lives of students and families at a level that meets them right where they are in their fears and inadequacies. May we go as people who have embraced you, who have connected with you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Before we do this, we don't do this as a religious organization. We do this as a people whose mission is to connect to the Christ who loves every one of us just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me.